Today's program is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Did you know that Wisconsin wins more national and international cheese awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Why Food. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jenny Dorsey. And I'm Ethan Frisch. Today we are joined with uh, Matthew, Matthew Shapiro, an attorney with the Street Vendors Project at the Urban Justice Center. He is uh, very knowledgeable about all things that concern to street vendors, street trucks, all food trucks, all the things that you love about New York City. And uh, today we'll be talking about a lot of the issues that surround that and uh, interesting things that we could maybe do to help these people that we love and know so much in our neighborhoods. Matthew, thank you for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is great. Um, you're, you're an attorney with the street, street Vendors Project, which is part of the Urban Justice Center. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what SVP does and, and the ways that you support street vendors around the city? Sure. So the Street Vendor Project functions like a union for all of the folks that you see uh, selling food and non-food items uh, on the streets and sidewalks in New York City. Um, so we work with vendors to organize and sort of build power within that community. Um, as we'll talk about, vendors face lots of regulations and lots of, lots of issues, so this is one way for them to sort of have their voice heard uh, when it comes to these uh, policies and issues that affect them. Before we dive into uh, the vendors, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, as we always ask, the aha moment where you came into your current position, how you knew you wanted to be involved in the food aspect of this? Yeah, sure. So um, I came to New York to go to law school. And then after law school, I had some time and I was trying to find uh, some volunteer work to do. And I was reading a a food blog, Midtown Lunch. Um, (laughs) And they had a story about a hot dog vendor on 43rd Street who had her cart taken by the police. And her name is uh, Eliana Jaramillo. And I said, wow, why why is this hot dog vendor getting her cart taken by the police? It seemed like ridiculous to me. And the article said that the Street Vendor Project is working on the case. I said, wow, there's a legal organization that's really <laughs> dedicated to fighting for street vendors. I, you know, I've always been a, a street food fan. I always would buy things from vendors whenever I traveled to various places. And I love the, the street food culture in New York. So I immediately you know, looked up the Street Vendor Project and got in touch and started uh, volunteering and actually was working on this case uh, for this vendor, Eliana, uh, to help her get her or get her cart back and also get her some compensation for what happened. So that was sort of the, the moment that I decided, oh, wow, this is really important work, and I needed to do this. And what happened with the case? Yeah. Uh, the city ended up uh, being found liable. They were nice. they, they took her cart wrongly um, and uh, ended up having to pay her damages for that. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Is that usually how these cases work out? Um, most of the time, the city will settle. Like, if a vendor gets arrested unlawfully, then the city will just say, okay, we'll, you know, we'll pay fifteen or $20,000, and the vendor usually agrees, because you know, to go to trial will take another year or so, and just maybe not worth it for them. Um, but in this case, the city basically admitted that they were wrong, uh, and then there was a trial for the amount of money uh, that she would get. 
And how does the Street Vendors Project find out about these cases? Do the vendors come to you, or um, is there a place that they can call anonymously? Yeah, so uh, at this point, you know, the Street Vendor Project has been around since 2001. There's a lot of vendors that know about us mm-hmm. and, or have heard about us from their friends who are vendors. Um, so a lot of folks are just coming based on word of mouth. Um, but also every week, uh, our staff is out there in the streets doing outreach, uh, walking up and down uh, the sidewalks, talking to vendors to let them know about the organization. Maybe they used to know, maybe they used to be a member and they haven't come around for a while, or maybe they've never heard of us because they're a new vendor. Um, so we do lots of outreach. Uh, so it's really both ways that they find out. Um, one of the reasons that we invited you to join us on the podcast this week was, um, I mean, your own story is sort of one of a, a career transition into food in a in a funny way. But um, most of the vendors, most of the food vendors, at least, also have had similar career transitions <laughs> yeah. with other jobs, either in their home countries or in the U.S., and, and have often accidentally or, or by default through people they knew fallen into food, into food vending specifically. Can you talk a little bit about that transition for, for SVP's members? Yeah, I think it's really difficult for you know, new immigrants coming to the United States for the first time and trying to find a job. Um, so it's likely within the street vending community anyways that your friend or your family member may have been working as a food vendor. So it's an, uh, you know, one way for you to sort of get your foot in the door and uh, you know a relatively easy uh, job where you're able to make some money um, without having you know out having to have a, a huge amount of skills that uh, translate you know sort of to the U.S. workforce system. Now you may have been highly skilled in your home country. We had a vendor once that worked for the health department in, <laughs> in his home country, and then he was working as a food vendor in New York, getting tickets from our health department. Uh, um, so yeah, I know lots of vendors who were professors in their home country, but it's just so difficult to sort of transition to the same career in the States. So they'll do something easier, you know, quote unquote easier, uh, work as a food vendor in New York. But as you've kind of told us, it's uh, anything but easy being one of these street vendors. Um, Can you just uh, give us a quick overview of A, how they're defined, um, who manages them, and, you know, who they have to like interact with to get their permitting and such? Sure. So at least the way we talk about vendors In New York, uh, we talk about folks that are selling food and non-food items in public space, so on the streets, on the sidewalks, uh, even in the parks. Um, Those are all of the the people that we work with at the Street Vendor Project. And it's very difficult uh, to start a business from scratch because the city places a lot of barriers in the way of, of legal street vending. Um, so every, let's talk about food vendors, since this is why food. Um, uh, if you want to sell food on the street, you have to have a license for yourself, uh, which is easy to get. Uh, anyone can get a license. Um, and that allows you to work on a cart or a truck that has a permit. And that's where we run into the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, since 1983, the permits have been capped. Uh, there's 3,000 citywide permits. Uh, that Those are the only ones that are allowed to be issued. There's 1,000 more uh, seasonal permits uh, that are only valid uh, during the summertime. Oh. Um, so the problem is, is that the people that hold these permits, they used to be vendors you know, back in the 70s and 80s. Um, and what happened? They retired or they found a different job. Um, but they still hold on to their permits because they realize there's a lot of demand for them. There's a lot of people that want to sell on the street now. So they're able to rent out these permits for, you know, a hugely inflated price uh, to, you know, today's vendors. And uh, they pay 200, you know, the permit holders, they pay $200 every two years to the city. And then they rent it out for between twenty dollars and $25,000 for the same two-year period. So it's a, a quasi-legal scenario. Um, and basically, it's the only way to 
uh, start a street vending business today because you can't get your own permit from the city. You have to go to this sort of underground market that's developed for these permits. And how come the city is not trying to add more permits? It seems like 4,000 for such a large five-borough area is quite limited. Yeah, uh, that's the goal. The goal uh, for the street vending community is to Mm -hmm. increase the number of permits. But for political reasons, it's been very difficult to do so. Um, We know that the vast majority of New Yorkers support street vendors. You see it at the coffee cart lines in the mornings and the lunch cart lines in the afternoons. Um, there's been street food tours that have been developed uh, in various neighborhoods. So in, in some way, New York really celebrates the street food, but in, the other, in another way, they really don't and, and really you know, crack down on it happening. Um, so yeah, it can be really, really difficult. And I think that the opposition comes from sort of a small uh, you know, group of interests that collectively have a lot of power. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the opposition comes from large real estate uh, developers who, you know, you can see it in examples all around the city are developing, you know, uh, luxury buildings and luxury developments now and who don't like the image of the street vendors or more specifically like uh, immigrant street vendors outside of their buildings or developments. Um, So in New York City, unfortunately, uh, the real estate industry has a lot of influence, especially when it comes to um, uh, politicians because they're able to donate money to their campaigns. Um, it's very difficult for vendors to do that. So the balance of power shifts in favor of the real estate industry, and they're able to call up, you know, the city hall and say, hey, uh, you know, uh, don't add any more permits. There's too many vendors. The streets are going to be crazy and overrun with hot dog carts. And that doesn't fit sort of within their image of what New York is supposed to look like. Yeah. And you've been working on, a, on the Fight the Caps campaign. Uh, lift the caps. Yeah. Lift the caps. Lift the caps. Uh-huh. Sorry. Um, c- can you tell us a little bit about that? Because that's sort of connected to this push for more permits. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, for the past four years now, we've been trying to get the city to uh, change the law or introduce a new law that would issue more permits. And, you know, there's a lot of negotiating, like any sort of legislative process and going back and forth with the city council and with the mayor's office. And I should note that the, you know, the city council for its part has been generally supportive yep. of vendors and street vending. Um, especially this sort of last session of the city council that ended at the end of 2017. Um, And there was legislation that was introduced that would gradually add more permits over a period of, I think, eight years. Oh, awesome. Um, And, you know, and it would also increase enforcement and do all these things that sort of the city, quote unquote, wanted, um, you know, coming from whoever was advising them. Um, So there was a lot of trade-offs made. But eventually, you know, the vending community thought that it was a good deal. They would get more permits. You know, the the, the negative consequences would be minor. Um, and therefore, you know, this would be a historic victory for vendors. New permits, first of new permits since 1983 would be huge. Yeah. Uh, and then at the last minute, uh, basically the mayor said, no, uh, uh, we're not going to, you know, he wasn't going to support the bill. So he was able to basically kill it within the last few weeks. Why? That, yeah. Is there any chance of it coming back? Yeah. Uh, why we don't know exactly um i have a, you know he he was pressured in one way to do it i mean there's no other way to no other way to say that he'll tell you what the mayor has said publicly is that he finds that uh the vendors have a really detrimental effect on the brick and mortar restaurants and shops in new york city and he he's using sort of the the struggles that they're facing which are very real the struggles for for these small businesses in new york city dealing with, uh, you know, uh, rent hikes and property taxes and all these issues that they face. He's using that as a way to sort of 
you know, push back the street vendor issue. So no, our, our, our businesses are struggling. If we add more vendors, it's going to cause them to struggle even more. And despite the fact that all the data has shown that vendors do not uh, compete directly with brick and mortar establishments, they actually bring more people to the streets, which results in more business for everyone. Mm -hmm. So that's what the mayor has said publicly. Um, but, you know, I just don't think that that's a good enough reason to, uh, to stop this, this legislation from happening. Um, I'm not sure what he could do to change it to sort of protect uh, restaurants or other brick-and-mortar establishments more. Um, it's illegal to regulate based on competition. So you can't say, like, food vendor must be 1,000 feet from a restaurant. You can't oh, okay. say that legally. It won't hold up. Um, so I don't know what the mayor, you know, short of that, I don't know what he wants to do to sort of, you know, quote-unquote protect uh, restaurants and other brick-and-mortar establishments. Um, in any event, I think that that's sort of uh, a bogus answer. I don't think that that's a real reason uh, to stop this change from happening. As I said, I think many people know that vendors are good for the, the streets. There's lots of people in New York. There's a huge customer base. There's people yeah. who want their dollar coffee from the coffee cart. There's people that want to go into Starbucks or the local coffee shop. There's room enough for everyone. Yeah. And one of the things you were talking about um, is how you know real estate and developers and other you know business units um, might object to what vendors look like on their streets themselves. So uh, we were talking about this earlier. Is like your thoughts on what if we made vendors look more homogenous? Is that good? Is that bad? What um, when you know you look go into a place like Smorgasburg, everyone has their cart that look or stand that looks the same. Um, your thoughts on is that a possible solution? Yeah, I, I think different people have different perceptions about what New York City should look like. And you could say, oh, we could have uniform vending carts. Um, but I think what makes New York City really interesting is the sort of diversity of people and diversity of cultures that we have here. Mm -hmm. So to say that every vending cart should look the same, I think, takes some, some character out of that. And also takes the decision making away from the vendors themselves yeah. and gives it to who, you know, sort of outside so-called stakeholders in the vending industry, residents, business improvement districts. I'm not, I'm not sure how it would work. I'm not saying that it's, it's a completely terrible idea, but it, we would have to think through it, and we would have to make sure that the vendors themselves are vested in this, and it's not being imposed on them by sort of outside forces. But, I mean, but that said, there is a fair amount of uniformity in in vendors, especially among food vendors, yep. what they sell. There's a sort of standard chicken and rice cart template. <laughs> There's a standard hot dog cart template, a, a like sugar-coated nuts cart template. Oh, yeah, nuts. Um, so <laughs> who, who who's deciding that now? Who's who's picking the pictures that seem to be on every chicken rice cart? Because they all they all seem to be showing the same pictures, even if the food is actually pretty different. Yeah. It's true. It's it's easy to find uh, uniformity in the, in the street food scene in New York City. Um, but it's also, you know, uh, any any folk, any person that lives in uh, New York City that's that's really interested in street food knows that there's really diverse street food to be found, uh, even within uh, the Midtown area. But certainly, as you venture out into other neighborhoods around the city, where you have vendors serving different purposes. So in Times Square, for example, you may have food vendors that are selling hot dogs and pretzels, catering to tourists that are visiting New York and sort of want that iconic. You know, New hot York dogs. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, but then you have, if you go into different neighborhoods around the city, you go to Corona and Sunset Park, you have vendors that are, are, are catering to the local community and selling breakfast and lunch to folks that are living and working there. Um, so you can easily travel uh, throughout the five boroughs and find various street foods. Um, but it's true that there is also a lot of uniformity. And, and I think it has to do with different factors. One reason is that 
the folks that are working on these carts may be coming to the States for the first time. They may not be a chef or have tons of culinary experience, but they're able to cook hot dogs or cook chicken and rice, and they find a job working with one of their friends or their family members. Um, so it's easy for them to do. Another reason is that vendors are, are fighting so hard on the defensive to sort of like stay in business, either stay in their spots, they, it's easy for them to get pushed out, they have to deal with the high cost of permits, they have to deal with the high cost of enforcement. Um, so they really don't have a lot of time or expense left over to sort of put into their business. Yep. We would love to see the scenario where vendors didn't have to deal with any sort of negative um, pushback, um, you know, dealing with their ability to stay in business. If they had nothing to deal with, they could solely focus their time and, and expense on improving their business and maybe changing the pictures on those carts or mm -hmm. selling, you know, a new product that they would like to test out. But you know, they have to make that money to pay for their permit, so they, they're doing what works. And so far, you know, chicken and rice works, and it's sort of become like a New York institution. Yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> I mean, it's not too dissimilar from restaurants in the city as well. It's, it's, you have such a high real estate cost to bear, so you serve, you know, hamburgers and fries and whatever yeah. else. So. Yeah, sure, every, yeah. every corner bodega sells sandwiches, breakfast sandwiches, lunch sandwiches. I mean, it's a formula that, that works for a certain scenarios, so... You know, why not? Yeah, we, I mean, we talk a lot about New York as like a, some kind of culinary destination, a place mm -hmm. where people are taking risks with the, the chefs are taking risks with the food that they're making. But I think <laughs> by were. and large, right. I, <laughs> I mean, I, I always wish there was a little bit more risk taking and a little yeah. bit more experimentation. I mean, you look at places like the Queen's Night Market or other other venues. Smorgasburg, I think, was doing this 10 years ago. And maybe yeah. anyway. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, a place, uh, these, these forums where where aspiring chefs or aspiring um, food entrepreneurs can come up with new ideas. And I think for our listeners, that's a particularly sort of relevant point to touch on. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about, I don't know, any advice you have for, for uh, an aspiring uh, street cart food vendor who wants to, I don't know, try out their, their new crazy cookie flavors or something? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely possible. It's just not easy in New York to navigate sort of the regulatory issues. I mean, you know, if getting a permit is, is probably the most difficult thing to do. Um, the Parks Department has an interesting sort of setup that's different than Oh yeah, the, can you tell us about that? Yeah, yeah sure, the, than the rest of the city. And it, it could work in some cases, but it also has some problems with it. So the Parks Department can issue as many permits as they want um, in the spots that they want uh, for the parks of New York City. So the good thing is, is that that's great. They're not subject to the cap on permits. Um, the bad thing is that they determine exactly where the spots are, and then they open it up to a bidding process. So basically, the permits go to the highest bidder. So unless you have you know significant amount of capital to invest, um, it's difficult to get a spot in one of the more popular parks, like Central Park, for example, or Prospect Park. Mm -hmm. um, you have to pay significant amounts of money to get a permit there. But there are smaller parks around the city. Um, I know there's a, a Burmese food cart that just opened up in Long Island City uh, with a Parks Department permit, so that's really great. Um, but it's very tightly controlled. They determine exactly where your cart uh, can be situated. And in many cases, they also determine what you're allowed to sell. So like in Central Park, oh, for example, um, that's why you see all the food carts in Central Park selling the same like hot dogs and ice cream and pretzels and things because there's very specific requirements. Now, I think over the years, they've gotten a little better. In certain spots, they've said, okay, well, you don't have to sell this, you know, these items. You can branch out, which is why I think, for example, we got that the Great Burmese cart now in Long Island City. Where is it? Um, Court Square Park. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, so 
But I think generally, certainly in sort of the longstanding park spots, you have a very, very tightly controlled regulation about where and what you can sell. Can you tell us actually more about um, all the agencies that monitor the street vendors and what they're looking for, what the street vendors are dealing with on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, I think, I think that street vendors are one of the most heavily regulated small businesses in New York City because they're regulated by the police department, the health department, the Department of Consumer Affairs, sometimes the Parks Department, uh, Sanitation <laughs> Department. We've seen I've seen tickets issued by the Fire Department what? Uh, what? against food carts dealing <laughs> with uh, propane issues. Um, so that leads to a lot of overlapping and sometimes contradictory enforcement. So you have the Health Department going out and enforcing health and safety rules because all food vendors have to follow the exact same health code that restaurants do in addition to more regulations about where they're allowed to be situated on the sidewalk or street. So you might have the health department coming and say, no, you can't stay in this spot, you have to go over here, and then the local uh, police officer will come and say, no, you have to go back over here, which will lead to, you know, different uh, summonses or tickets from different agencies. So vendors spend a lot of time, you know, fighting these tickets in court, and they could end up costing hundreds or thousands of dollars. We talked a little bit about um, how many of these carts are run by immigrants. Uh, do you, what are your thoughts on how does racism play into this? Um, how does that, you know, social, economic, and yeah, race dynamic evolve as the street vendors go on and how the government cracks down on them? Yeah, I think that's definitely a huge dynamic, especially when we talked about sort of the real estate uh, industry and their opposition to vendors. We heard once uh, that someone was quoted in the newspaper calling vendors ugly or, or a certain class of vendors ugly. Uh, he God. said, uh, but then there was a different. It was a different cart that was run by sort of you know like a white European, a, a, a guy that was all kind of shiny, and they said, oh, this cart looks great, but when we have like the hot dog cart, um, run by the the immigrant from Bangladesh, uh, that's you know quote unquote ugly. Um, so I think uh, you know I'm not saying everyone in New York is racist, but there are these uh, issues <laughs> <laughs> that uh, play into. Um, you know, who gets to decide which type of vendors are allowed in which areas and, and, and whose perception should be taken into account when we think about the way the city should look. And there's an interesting irony of all the people who are eating from these street carts, yeah. but then they don't want them around in their neighborhoods or their places of work. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you can see the lines in Midtown, office workers lining up at these food carts, um, but then they might go home to their neighborhoods and not want vendors there. Um yeah, I hope we can just begin to change that perception by really talking about how, you know, it, it, the food is great, but it's really about the people behind the food. And these are people that are working here, that are trying to uh, make some money for their family, and they're, they're a part of this city just like everyone else. Yeah, I was, I was a street vendor uh, several years ago <laughs> and, a, and a member of, of the Street Vendors Project, actually, um, and ran into a lot of these problems. I, I had an uh, ice cream cart. Uh, but couldn't get a permit to sell on the street. And so the loophole that, that we wound up finding was to go into one of these markets. We were at the Hester Street Fair and the Fulton Stall Market um, because markets are permitted differently. And I could get a license for myself, but not a permit for the cart. Um, but but um, I also had a certain amount of access, being a native English speaker, being a documented person living in the United States, being yeah. a white guy. Like, um, how, can, how can food entrepreneurs uh, be cognizant of the privilege that they have and, and still uh, pursue pursue the businesses that they that they want to start, but also, um, yeah, I don't know, n- not be disrespectful towards the vast majority of vendors who don't necessarily have those same privileges, at least the ones that I had. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting question. I think that 
if you were to start your own food cart or food truck, you know, sort of with that level of privilege, I think it's just helpful to sort of do your research and understand, you know, the history of the vending community and who's working out there now. And when you're going out there to sell, you know, don't take the spot of someone who's been there for 20 years selling chicken and rice, uh, uh, you know, to to a whole slew of of folks in the community and sort of just be aware of your your different uh, uh, vendors on the street. And, And, you know, it's good to be make positive interactions with them. Sometimes we hear about um, vendors in conflict, but we really want vendors to be working together. So just being a sort of aware of the community and uh, getting involved with the Street Vendor Project would be a, a, a great way to sort of use your uh, uh, privilege uh, for the benefit of the whole community. And uh, on that note, we're going to take a quick break, and uh, we'll be back in two minutes with more questions from Matt Shapiro from the Street Vendors Project. Today's program was brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. What do you think of when you hear Wisconsin cheese? For me, I think cheese curds. Delicious, fresh and squeaky cheese curds. Or deep fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally anyway, anytime, anyplace. I think about Andy Hatch and Upland's Cheese, the farmstead cheese company behind Pleasant Ridge Reserve. I think of delicious, stinky Limburger and its long storied history. I think of Dunbarton Blue, made by master cheesemaker Chris Raleigh. I think of Ross Grand Cru Searchois, which was named 2016's World Championship Cheese, and Satori's Black Pepper Bella Vitano, the 2017 U.S. Championship Cheese. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese, with lush grasslands and a glacial water supply that produce the very best milk. Fourth-generation cheesemakers combine old-world tradition with new ideas and the highest standards to make innovative cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country. To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. Welcome back. Uh, we're here with Matt Shapiro of the Street Vendors Project, and we've been talking a lot about street vendors, where they are, um, where they are literally, and um, how they make up the cultural and uh, colorful dynamic of New York City, as well as some of the political and regulatory issues that they're facing. So again, Matt, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, what about some recommendations? Who are your favorite street cards? Where oh, do yeah. you where do you like to eat? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> it's a huge question. Yeah. I mean, depending on the neighborhood, I mean, there's, you know, near our office in downtown Manhattan, there's a really great uh, a chicken and rice guy on Beaver Street that I really love. Um, he, there's the long line uh, every day for lunch. Um, but I think, you know, if you just have to think about different neighborhoods to go to. I think if you go out to Sunset Park, especially in the summertime along Fifth Avenue, mm-hmm. there's tons of vendors selling mostly uh, different Mexican foods. Um, really, really great stuff. There's a couple of uh, taco trucks that have been uh, pretty famous over there. But I would say head out to Sunset Park for some great Mexican food. And are are those vendors permitted or licensed? What's their what's the legal situation? Yeah, I mean, uh, some of them may be, some of them may not be. I mean, vendors without a permit are really, uh, you know, facing a higher risk uh, than others because they can be arrested. They can have their carts taken away from them. They can be issued thousand dollar tickets. Um, so they're really in a much more vulnerable. Uh, situation. And it's difficult because many uh, people are coming here, they need to work. Um, so they see people selling on the streets. So they say, oh, I can sell tacos or tamales or churros, yeah. um, you know, and, and make a little bit of money and doing some honest work. Um, but basically, the city doesn't allow it, unfortunately. So they run into a lot of issues. Can you tell us a little bit about the Vendi Awards on the note of um, places you love to eat and how that supports the vendors? Yeah, so the, the Vendi Awards is a fundraiser for the Street Vendor Project. It's a street food competition. Every year it happens in uh, about the middle of September. Um, and we find, you know, the 25 or 30 best street food vendors in the city and bring them to 
Governor's Island for a competition. And, you know, it's about, it's really about showcasing the food and the people behind the food Mm -hmm. um, because it's easy to get your coffee or get your lunch from a vendor um, every day and you might not know who they are um, or the story that goes into their business or their life. So it's a way of sort of elevating vendors um, to the to the level of maybe other uh, other small food businesses. Um, you know, every every community has their awards. The restaurant industry has their own awards. So why not an award yeah. for for best uh, food vendor? Um, so it's really a, a great time, and and all the funds raised goes towards the street vendor project. And it's sort of one way to get the message out about the work that we're doing um, and make people aware. Uh, of the issues that are going on behind their plates of chicken and rice. Does that work? Do people, you know, I think people talk a lot about food as this great convener, this shared experience mm-hmm. for, for all of humanity. But I mean, <laughs> but I mean, there's so many other shared experiences that are, I don't know, like, like that seems like such a uh, sort of, um, I don't know, arbitrary <laughs> distinction. And, and we, you and I have talked about, and, and I've experienced myself. I mean, food is actually not, People get distracted by food, yeah. and and they don't think about the issues that you're trying to convey behind it. How like how do you manage that with the Vendy Awards or, or with SVP in general? Yeah, I think that it's it, it's it's better than not doing anything. <laughs> yeah, <agreed>. <laughs> um, <laughs> it helps a little bit, uh, but we do run into those problems that this is a food event and people want to come and eat and drink and have a good time and they don't want to have politics shoved down their throat. But it definitely helps a little bit. I mean, I know that during the event, I'm constantly talking to, to attendees who are there and trying to figure out, well, why are they here? How do they know about the event? Are they aware of these issues? You know, the Street Vendor Project usually has some sort of volunteer sign-up event at the event um, or ways for people to get involved uh, later on if they really enjoy the Vendi Awards and really, you know, were, they really felt impacted by the, by the work they were doing. They can help volunteer. And we've gotten many, you know, longtime volunteers uh, from that event, people have that uh, that have been coming for you know years and years, uh, that really enjoy the community. So it's it, it works a little bit. We could always do a much better job of sort of integrating the work that we're doing into the event itself, um, but we struggled a little bit with how to do that without sort of taking away from the fun of the event of people yeah. eating and drinking. Um, I mean, I think I can speak for most people that uh, until like I had a specific interaction with. Uh, I used to work in New Amsterdam Market, and like then I talked to some vendors and learned about the Vendi Awards, I had no idea what they were dealing with or what they were facing or what I could do. So can you tell people who might be new to this how they can actually help? Yeah, sure. Um, One way is just talk to your local street vendor. I mean, you know, maybe some people already know uh, them pretty well, but if you buy coffee every morning or or lunch, you know, get to know them a little bit better. Um, In terms of, you know, getting involved directly, folks are always welcome to come and volunteer with the Street Vendor Project. We have uh, volunteer outreach days on the weekends where we go out to neighborhoods and, and talk to vendors and get them involved in the organization. Um, so people can uh, go on our website, streetvendor.org, or uh, check out our Facebook page, The Street Vendor Project, uh, to learn more. Um, um, just to talk about like how our systems is, are for food vendors are set up in New York versus other cities, we mentioned this a little bit in our earlier conversation. Um, thoughts on what New York, assuming that the, New- the city gets a little bit more um, interested in investing in vendors, what they can learn from other places, both uh, nationally and internationally? Yeah, I think you know every city is different, and New York City has its own set of unique challenges, but what we can learn from other places that sort of have celebrated street food or taking, you know, an interest in it more and making it part of the experience of both being a New Yorker and for folks visiting New York. I mean, you look at places like Portland, Oregon. I mean, the city really touts its street food scene. So good. Admittedly, it's a little (laughs) bit different because uh, the vending and permitting system is different. But the interest that the city takes 
is much you know it's much more significant and a much deeper level of understanding of of these businesses these food businesses um, we have yet to see that uh, with New York City so we're disappointed um, but I think if we look to w- sort of the ways that other other cities are dealing with it um, and New York can improve I mean certainly in in Los Angeles I'll, I'll just talk briefly about what's happening out there mm-hmm. it's actually more difficult in Los Angeles to be a street vendor because sidewalk vending is completely illegal. Oh. Um, you cannot sell on the sidewalks in L.A. Now, of course, people do it because that's uh, how people, you know, need to work and need to survive. But recently, uh, after the uh, election in 2017, um, the city council in L.A. was really worried about the immigration status of a lot of the vendors. And mm-hmm. when they are, you know, subject to enforcement... They were worried about the consequences that they could have. So the city council actually took sort of our current political landscape as an impetus to legalize street vending. So now they're embarking on this long process to sort of formalize and legalize the process for the sidewalk vendors in L.A. That's awesome. So it's great to see their initiative. I wish this, you know, should have happened many, many years ago. And it's sad that it took our current administration for them to do this. But in any event, that's a good first step. Um, I wish New York sort of would see that uh, and and take a little lesson from uh, our, our friends out west. Um, and uh, helping our vendors here too. Um, there, I, I've heard people express concerns about the cleanliness of street carts mm-hmm. and uh, hesitations about eating, quote unquote, street meat. And um, what do you what do you say to that? And then how does that uh, that concern factor into the the permitted versus unpermitted vendors? Yeah. Uh, well, I have different opinions about that. The first is 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 you know regulatory. Uh, all food vendors. Or all, I should say, all permitted food vendors are subject uh, to the same exact uh, health and sanitary standards as restaurants are. Which is crazy. They have to follow the same rules, same health code. Um, soon they're going to be getting letter grades. Uh, so every permitted food vendor will have a letter grade, just like your favorite restaurant does. And you know, folks will be able to make their own choices about where they want to eat. But you know, I use this sort of tip whenever I'm visiting uh, other cities or other countries. You know, if there's if there's a lot of people eating street food, mm-hmm. it's probably a good bet. And if there are folks that have been selling this food in the same spot for years and years and years, it's probably, you know, a safe choice. Um, so I would use that rule of thumb. But also know that vendors are very strictly regulated to the same or even sometimes higher level that restaurants are. And what about unpermitted vendors? Uh, unpermitted vendors are subject to enforcement. They're subject to having their property taken. Uh, they're subject to high fines. Um, but again, if, if a vendor has been serving the community for so long in the same location, it's highly likely that they're on a mission to get people sick. Otherwise, they'd be out of business themselves. <laughs> right. um, so that's sort of the, the, you know, the, the standard that I go by. Are you in favor of, the, of letter grades being applied to street cards? Yeah. G- generally speaking, I think that vendors want to show off that they're held to the same standards as restaurants. So I think many people don't know that. Mm-hmm. Many people probably that. think that... Oh, yeah, the vendors, you know, there's no regulation or they don't have to follow any rules. They can do whatever they want. But now there'll be sort of an official stamp that'll say, oh, look, you know, this is this is an A-grade food cart. And I think the vendors will be proud of that, too. What about food trucks? Where do they fall into this? And um, are they same regulations, different regulations? So food trucks um, have to follow the exact same regulations as all other food vendors. Uh, the additional issue that they face has to do with parking because mm-hmm. obviously they're not on the sidewalk. And in New York, once again, it's very difficult uh, for them to find a legal spot to sell because especially they're not allowed to sell at metered parking spots. Which is every spot. <laughs> yeah, so anytime 
you know, they want to find a spot, even if they're going to pay the parking meter, they're not allowed to park there because of this really old rule um, that the city still enforces against vendors saying you cannot park in a metered parking spot. So uh, any viable commercial spots bound to be metered, like you mentioned. Uh, so it's really, really difficult for them to find a spot. And so what do they do? Uh, they park in metered spots and get tickets and they get their trucks towed and they get chased out. And it's very, very, uh, very hostile environment for them. And are police generally pretty aggressive towards street vendors or, or I mean, it, as far as I understand it, there's a, a, a lot of authority handed to the to the beat cop, right, to the neighborhood police officer to decide I'm going to let this person sell here, even if they have a permit or I'm going to I'm going to harass this person or, or try to push them out for whatever reason. Um, how do vendors manage those relationships with the police? How do police make those decisions about when or if to, to bother a vendor? So there's sort of different systems. Uh, the police department actually has its own unit that's solely dedicated to street vendor enforcement. Hmm. So it's a group of about 20 officers that are out there every day. Are they foodies? Are they like enthusiastic <laughs> about this post or is it? No. That's interesting. I, I don't know. I have a feeling that they're just sort of like doing their job. You know, this is just the post that they were assigned to. So this is what they have to do. Um, uh, you know, so their job is just to go out and enforce the street vending rules. And then you have sort of local precincts where uh, there are like high density of vendors in certain neighborhoods. So like in Midtown, for example, within the local precincts there, you might have a vendor unit made up of a few officers that are out there just you know going out there to enforce the street vending laws. And then a lot of the other um, enforcement is done based on a complaint basis. Okay. So you can have someone calling 311 saying, oh, there's a vendor outside my office building or there's a vendor outside my deli. And it's not even that they're breaking the law. It's that, oh, I don't think they're like allowed them. to be there or they're, you know, they're, they're, they're blocking the sidewalk. And then the police will come. And, you know, their method of showing efficiency is like is enforcement, like writing tickets. So they have to do something to show something for that uh, encounter. So often up, oftentimes they'll write a ticket. Uh, sometimes because it's true, there's hundreds of rules that vendors have to follow. It's almost impossible to follow every single one of them. So they might be actually in violation of a minor rule, like being nine feet from the crosswalk instead of 10 feet from the crosswalk. Um, but oftentimes, uh, officers will just write tickets indiscriminately. Um, and then uh, the vendors bear the brunt of that enforcement. And luckily, if they're a member of the Street Vendor Project, we can help them go to court and get the ticket dismissed. Um, but if they're not, you know, it's, it can be intimidating to have an interaction with a police officer, especially if you're if you're new to this country and you're pretty vulnerable working out on the streets. So um, between vendor and vendors, are they friendly? Do they? It sounds like they probably help each other out. Um, we were talking about bathroom breaks earlier, but yeah, how is that relationship like? Yeah, I think that most vendors have a really you know positive relationship with other members in the community because they understand that they need to be sort of united yeah. <laughs> in this struggle. It doesn't do them any good to be fighting with one another when they're trying to you know pressure the city into making it easier for them to work. Um, so I think that there's a real you know sense of community among vendors, especially vendors that work uh, near each other, right? Because if you know if something they don't feel happens, competitive. yeah, if something. Well, I think that most of the time vendors respect one another. So if you're selling chicken and rice on one street, you're probably not going to set up your chicken and rice cart next to the guy who's been <laughs> selling uh, chicken and rice for 20 years there. Um, so I think that generally vendors are complementary to each other mm -hmm. um, and sort of you know help each other out. Um, for example, yes, if vendors have to use the restroom, then vendors can, uh, the other vendor can watch their cart, um, sort of, 
you know, uh, this for that. And the city, I mean, the city is a huge market. There's so much food that gets yeah. consumed every day. I, I mean, and you see, at least in my neighborhood in Jackson Heights, you see by the subway, there'll be three or four women selling tamales. There'll be a couple of people selling like grilled meat or elotes, like corn on the cob, things like that, but often clustered together. Mm-hmm. Is that, why do you think that is? Or how does that? Um, well, I think that if you have, it's, it's like the market situation, right? Like a lot of people love going to food markets and seeing all these different food stalls around. So if you have a bunch of, I mean, a food market is just a bunch of vendors clustered together. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a great idea and there's some great ones in the city, but it's basically just vendors together. Um, and people like that. Uh, sometimes it brings out diversity. The, 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 if there is a competitive element, it, it elevates the product, which works yeah. better for the consumer. Because if you're, if you're three tamale vendors selling, one, one vendor is not selling good tamales, and that they're going to go out of business pretty quickly. So really, I think that element of competition, I think, is good, ultimately, um, because it, 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 it sort of elevates the standard of the food, and, and the consumers are happy. Um, but you'll see lots of vendors clustered around like transit hubs, for example, because yeah. yeah. people are, are going back and forth and trying to get some food, either coming or toing, uh, coming or going where they're go- you know to work or back home. And is there an element of sort of strength in numbers, protection against unfair enforcement that goes into that? I think people feel more secure. You know, definitely, definitely safety in numbers. Um, if especially among the more unpermitted vendors, folks that are really vulnerable, um, maybe if if they're clustered together, they'll feel safer. And, you know, it's sure you, you would feel safer if you have fellow community members with you. Yeah, for sure. One of the things I learned at uh, New Amsterdam was that a lot of the vendors also buy from like a, a master vendor where um, they'll supply them with, you know, the hot dog buns and let them wash their carts off at night. Like, can you talk a little bit about that and how that works? Sure. So all food carts are required to be serviced at a commissary mm-hmm. um, at least once a day. A lot of vendors will just bring their carts back to these they're sort of like big garages um, where many food carts are stored and they have to have a separate room for washing the carts. And a lot of them will also supply the products to the vendors. So drinks and uh, depending on what they're selling, you know, anything from hot dog buns to uh, biryani rice, mm-hmm. uh, for example. Um, so yeah, there are these uh, commissaries located all throughout the city. Um, it, it could be a challenge because, you know, it's a real estate issue, right? You need to have a lot of space to open up one of these commissaries. There used to be a lot on the west side of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Now more of them are located, you know, further out in Queens. Uh, it's so it follows the same pattern of all real estate in New York yep. getting pushed further and further out um, from Manhattan. Um, but yeah, th- these commissaries service anywhere from you know seven to fifty carts. Wow. Um, depending on the size. I see them, you know, lugging their carts late at night, and I just like I don't even know how. Yeah, That's incredible. It's a it's a tough job. It's not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's definitely not easy money. Um, well, I mean, we're, we're pretty much out of time. Matt, this has been awesome. Thanks for joining us this week. Um, do you want any instructions? Like, how can, how can our listeners support both the Street Vendors Project, but also support their local vendors? And reach out to you yeah. with more questions. Yeah, well, you know, just being knowledgeable about the issues is, I think, really important. And getting involved um, with things that you care about, even if it's not particularly street vending issues, but just knowing sort of the way that politics works in New York. I mean, every... Every person in New York City is represented by a city council member, and those folks make the laws for New York. And they, in our case, they make the laws for street vendors. Um, so just knowing who they are. And unfortunately, it's human nature, right? People only get involved or call up someone when they have a complaint. Mm-hmm. Nobody's calling up their local city council member to say, hey, I really support street vendors. That would I be love really my great. Man. Uh, <laughs> but please do that. Uh, <laughs> call your local city council member, tell them you, you support street vendors and you want there to be more permits available. That would go a huge way. And check out our website at streetvendor.org. 
um, where you can get in touch on more ways to get involved. And do you have any any events coming up that people can uh, can come to? Any rallies planned? Uh, so this coming uh, uh, evening, we're actually going to be outside the mayor's State of the City address okay. at the King's Theater uh, in Flatbush. We're going to be there about 5 o'clock. Uh, it's very interesting. We're going to be partnering with another group um, who is working with the uh, bicycle delivery drivers who use those electronic bicycles. Ooh, uh-huh. That's a whole separate issue that we could talk about on another uh, maybe uh, also food-related podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a good one. Yeah. Um, they are probably the only folks that have a harder job than vendors in New York. These bicycle delivery workers who are really suffering right now under the current administration because the mayor has vowed to crack down on the use of e-bikes. What? Why? Uh, well, uh, they're illegal in New York City, uh, just as, as a quick aside. What? Uh, <laughs> they're illegal. Uh, you know, I think they shouldn't be because they enable folks to get around quicker and, and make more deliveries and get people their food faster um, and also allow the workers to make more money. So any in any event, we're partnering with them sort of under the theme of immigrant workers who feed New York City and mm-hmm. trying to show the, the mayor that he should be supporting these groups of immigrant workers. You know, this he's he ran on on this line of sort of a tale of two cities, but so far his actions have really fell short. Yep. So we'll be out there today at five o'clock outside the King's Theater. Uh, come on by. Thanks. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for joining us, and we also would love more questions, feedback, thoughts, people you want to see. We'll definitely follow up with you about the e-bikes. Please reach out to us over at whyfood at heritageradio.org. We also want to thank you to... um, To David Tatashore, our producer, and uh, our... um, New music. Our new music, our (laughs) new theme music, uh, which is... Blind by Red Crickets. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.